0: and welcome to another edition of 50 Talks with Stephen Caldwell and this one's a very very special player to player for me with an ex-teammate of mine and
1: all-round great guy Chris Cutland, thanks for coming on Chris. My pleasure mate, when I knew that you wanted to do it, did it without any hesitation, know what type of lad you are and so we've got a close, close bond didn't we, we always got on well so yeah, been looking forward to this. Yeah,
0: we certainly did, mate. We were only really together for that year at Wigan, but we've obviously kept in touch since, and we we played against each other at different times in the past. And I think that you know you you meet guys through the years, but there's there's very few you have a real connection with, and we're close in age, but we, we certainly had that connection at Wigan. We had some laughs, didn't we? Oh,
1: it was brilliant, mate. We used to love. I think that's the time at Wigan. I don't know about you, but that's probably one of my best times in football. That you know, when we when we was there, that dressing room was amazing. Um, obviously, we had a, a decent team as well. But yeah, I, I used to love getting into training, uh, seeing all you guys, and didn't want to leave in the afternoons.
0: You know, yeah.
1: we, we we stayed there all hours, didn't we? We um, did because we had such a great change room. And as you know, your change room wins and loses your games, and we had a we had a special change room there.
0: Yeah, we had that good little core, didn't we? Where we were, you know, Ben watching uh, Gary. Um... Obviously, the, the, the two Jamesies, MacArthur, McCarthy, yeah. Pauly. You know, we had some, oh, some brilliant yeah. guys are in there, some great laughs. And I, I remember that year, even though I we never played as much as I would have liked, but I remember it very fondly. It was brilliant. We golf as well, didn't we? we went golfing. Yeah. And, we were always yeah, we together. We never, even on our days off, we, we usually, we, you know, we had a few beers when it was right and
1: we went to the golf. and Families we and that, out. weren't
0: it? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it was
1: special times then. I always look back on, like, whenever I talk about them times, because I get asked a lot about the, the best time and it always, always puts a smile on my face when I think of them days.
0: Yeah, definitely. Ever the
1: Pilates girl. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. You know, we had good infrastructure at that
0: club. It was a club who were thinking about going in the right direction. And obviously I, don't it all, it I don't know how she put it all those lot. I don't know how she put all those lot. I'll tell you, time. she helped change my career. She really did the way that, uh, you know, I, flexibility was a big thing for me by that point. I did growing problems. And uh, she was there. What, I don't. She's coming three times a week. She was. Yeah, I just kid. remember.
1: I just remember Watto when he used to walk by by the mirrors, didn't he?
0: All right, Sarah.
1: <laughs> yeah, he
0: never involved <laughs> in the session, but always <laughs> keep his eye on what was going oh, on. There. We know what
1: Watto's like.
0: <laughs> he's some boy. He really is. Oh, he's so, I like to start these off by going right back to the beginning, Kirky, and second May nineteen eighty-one, Barwell, England. <laughs> young Chris Cutland's born. Tell me what it was like. In the early stages of your life, family life, and then I guess when football became important to you?
1: Yeah, always, always been close to the family. Um, so, born in Leicester, uh, loved my golf, loved sports. My dad was a crane driver, so he used to work all hours, godsend. But then when he come back, he always took me down the park. You know, they drove me everywhere, as, as parents do when, you, when you're playing football through the years. But it didn't really, my dad was very ill as well. Um, he, had, he got given 24 hours to live from cancer. So he had uh, testicular cancer which was misdiagnosed for 18 months and by that time it grew to the size of a football in his stomach. Yeah. So he was given 24 hours to live, made it through the night, then they gave him three weeks to live and he's still here today fighting fit, which, was, which is incredible. So it was tough at times, you know, they nearly lost the house because my dad couldn't work, my mum was having to look after him. So we had, like a lot of people, we had some tough times but we always stayed together, you know, we we got through it and... When I was, wasn't until I was about, I mean, my dad used to take me, when he was doubled up in pain, you know, and he could hardly move, he'd always, always come and watch me play football. Um, and, you know, you never forget things like that. Uh, it wasn't until I was about 13, really, the football took off. I was an outfielder, never any good. Um, <laughs> but I, was, I was on the bench as an outfield player for Barwell, and the keeper got injured. And because I was the only one on the bench, I had to go and goal. So, did it, dived around, made a few saves, thought, oh, I really like this, and, and stuck at it from there. So, I was quite a late developer, really, with, uh, with going into goal at 13. I'd, I'd never done it before, but things sort of took off pretty quickly from there.
0: And, and what age were you when your dad was, was sick, Kirky? And do you have brothers and sisters? Like, How tough was
1: that? Oh, was horrendous. I was, what was I, nine, ten years old. Um, horrible. Assisted, one older, one younger. Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't know we, we because my mum, you know, she shielded us from it. Obviously, she she didn't tell us that he'd been given a certain amount of time to live. So, yeah, you know, I remember going to the hospital one day and just didn't recognise him. Just, just he was just a, a skeleton. Just didn't recognise. Scared the scared the living daylights out, like it would out of any kid. Yeah. Um, but that was the day where she took us to see him because we didn't. She didn't think he was going to be there the next day, which we only found out years down the line, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean. We all know cancer is just when somebody gets in your family, you know, they've got to be very lucky to survive. Uh, fortunately, these days there's a lot more treatment around, but they were really tough, tough years. You know, as I said, they nearly lost the house um, and it was, uh, you know, it took them some time to, to get back on the feet, which luckily when I, when I got back into foot, you know, made it as a footballer, I was able to, to, to help them out, you know, and, and to give them money and stuff like that. So just for everything they did for me. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean,
0: I I know what kind of guy you are, so it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh, There's something else you said there I want to pick up on, but most goalkeepers start outfield. And most goalkeepers, I feel like they end up in goal because of some strange circumstances. Someone goes down, someone forgets their their kit or something like that. And and I like that story. So you were 13, you were outfield, and then you just end up in goals. You love it at the start. You
1: love it. But it is- true story, yeah. True, I was on the bench, as I said, I was an outfield. I was never any good, so I was always on the bench. So I, uh, yeah, true story. Keeper got injured. So I just think it was second half, and, and I went in goal, and it's, I just loved it. You know, diving around. Never done it before, <laughs> even in school or down. Never done it. Never dived around or anything. But got muddy. Loved that loved the fact that I was diving in mud, and it just stuck from there. And I, I joined the team, uh, Westfield Wanderers, Then I left Barwell, joined Westfield Wanderers, uh, and then signed for Blabian and Weston, which in Leicester were the team then. So, like, you know, Dion Dublin played for them, Peter Schilt and Gary Lineker in years gone by. So, I signed for them. And that's when, I don't know if you remember Paul Dannon, the old Premier League ref? Yeah, yeah. So, he was the assistant manager and Mick Pierce was the manager at Blabian and Weston. And they went above and beyond for me. They gave me extra training sessions, uh, you know, the... I'd get there before all the other lads and stay after and they, they put the work in on Sundays. I used to go over or they'd come over to me. So they seen seen it obviously. And uh, yeah, we're very grateful for what they did for me.
0: Yeah, one thing I know about you is your incredible work rate. You, you love mm. keeping fit and, and putting in the effort. Like, I can't even think of another player, never mind another goalkeeper, who, who worked as hard as you. So was that there from an early age? I guess that was just in you.
1: I'll tell you what, the, big, the, the big, I did a few interviews the other day and he asked about this. And the biggest influence that I've had on my career and got me to where I was and got me my work ethic was Stevie Griswich, Oggy. I was lucky enough to train with him when I was 15. He used to come down the lodge on his days off and train us at nights. And then lucky enough to work with him when I signed for Coventry and seeing the way he worked, he was the first out every morning and he was the last in every day. And then he'd be in the gym you know, he enjoyed a pint and a fag after training, but he was just his work rate. But the, the respect he gave people as well, the way he talked to people, the way that he he could get his point across in the right way, everything about him was just. I, I thought that's the way you have to be. It's the only way. I just seen how much respect he had off other players and what he gave them, and his what I say his work rate. Right? I mean, right up until he was forty. When I was on the bench for his last game of the season against Sheffield Wednesday, when he retired. And the reception he got when he come off just just proved what a guy he was. And, uh, you know, he's been at Coventry for years and years. And he's, uh, I think he does the radio now for games. But he's somebody I speak to all the time, always there for advice. He would be one of the first I'd ring when I needed advice during my career. And he was actually the one when I signed for Liverpool because I love Coventry so much. And I've always supported Liverpool. So my first game was when I was seven. My dad took me up to Anfield, standing in the of them days. So I've always supported Liverpool. But leaving Coventry was hard. And I was at the ground and Gordon come in and said, look, Liverpool have bid for you. What do you want to do? And I, I was petrified because I'd always, you know, I've always liked home comforts. Yeah, thought of yeah. moving away from home, I was, but Oggy was actually at the ground. And he says, look, Oggy's here, do you want me to get him to come in? And he'd come into the, into the room and just calmed me down straight away. He's just one of them people that, you know, people that when they talk, you just listen and it just calms you down. And he just said, listen, we don't want you to go. Uh, you're a Liverpool fan, go up there, it would be the best thing you've ever done. And, uh, and, and I did, and, you know, he's just one of them people that when he talks, I'd, I could just listen to him all day.
0: And what a role model to have. And I, I think people underestimate the, the importance of their first role models, is I always speak about the Alan Shearers, Gary Speed, Warren Barton, Rob Lee, uh, Steve Harper, Shea Given, the, the mm. core guys that I had in that Newcastle squad then and I kind of attach myself to. But their
1: role models are absolutely crucial, aren't they? The, oh, massive. Massive, as I said, I was very lucky to have Oggy. I always said if I didn't, then it could have been very different. You know, you, you you could go down a different route, but I was I was so lucky to work with him and and to have the relationship that we did have. Because um, I had a few, I could have signed for a few teams when I was sixteen, but because I had that relationship with Oggy, I was only going to ever sign for Coventry. And very lucky to uh, to be able to see the way he worked. And yeah, I just I was obsessed with him, still am. <laughs> yeah. You know, people have said that. People said we looked like each other as well, which uh, <laughs> I'm not too happy about that. But.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So, so he was the main reason that you went to Coventry. You mentioned you had other teams there, other options. You know, what, what were the options? I, I guess you were one of the, the elite goalkeepers in England at that time. Or no, was, was it more not really, mate.
1: Yeah, not really. It was, um, I mean, it was more when I was at Coventry. Yeah. There coming in. I think Man U, Arsenal, there was, there was a few teams uh, before, obviously, Liverpool coming in, but... Um, I just uh, I just loved everything about it. But I wasn't, when I signed for Coventry at 16, there was a keeper from Newcastle, actually, Steve Watson. I don't know, remember Steve Watson? Mm. He was a goalkeeper. He was meant to be the next big thing. Right. He was meant to be huge. So he signed for a few quid when he was 16, and he was meant to be the next Coventry keeper for years and years. Uh, but his attitude wasn't right. Uh, and, and I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to have anyone beat me. So I trained harder, I worked harder, and quickly overtook him. Uh, really overtook him, but his, his attitude, he admits it himself, he, he he missed home, which was tough, you know, he'd moved down from Newcastle, which was tough, but he didn't look after himself properly off the pitch either, um, so I quickly quickly overtook took him, and I've always, but again, that was from the from knowing the way Oggy works, he always said, you've got to work harder than anyone else, he said, be respectful, um, you know, don't be nasty about it or anything like that, but have that determination to be better than anyone else, and lucky enough I you know I managed to keep that throughout throughout my career yeah I'm thinking now we
0: Newcastle, I was at Newcastle of course we played against Coventry in the the youth cup
1: semi final you guys beat us were you playing in that game no because I was on first team duty we had I was on the bench for the first team I think it was the same night uh, but yeah I remember that game yeah uh, the lads yeah. come back and uh, they took them for TGI's so we all met, all met back up at the at the um, at the Sky Blue Lodge, and we all went for TGI's in Coventry to celebrate yeah. that. But then we got yeah, then we got wallop nine nil on aggregate off West Ham. So was West Ham were
0: pretty special. We had certain Joe Cole playing in the midfield. Remember him Michael back? Carrick,
1: there? Michael Carrick. Michael yeah. well. Carrick is there. Yeah, Michael. Uh, Stephen Bywater in goal. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were. But I will tell you what, that one of them at Highfield Road was three nil. But then down at Upton Park was the first real atmosphere I experienced. I mean, you know, what, Upton Park was yeah. amazing. And it was packed for that game against them in the second leg. It was packed out. But the atmosphere just made you... Even though we got beat 6-0, you just thought, oh, I want some of this. I want some more of this. And, uh, yes, that was one of the first atmospheres I ever played in front of that got me really, really pumped up.
0: Yeah, so you, you eventually start to break into the commentary first team is Augie retired by this point? And are you in a fight with Hedman, or or is this yeah? Like-
1: so Augie retired. Uh, Magnus Hedman was there. It was, it was the Sweden number one. For yeah. um, obviously Jim Blythe, who was my goalie coach. You know Jim Blythe, were not you? Yeah, we had a great relationship with him as well. Very close. We lived by each other. We used to come into training together and give each other lifts. So I, I was lucky. I had a good group around me. I mean Magnus was was um, was brilliant as well. Even when I took his place, he was never. You know I shared a room with him. He uh, always used to pay the room bill. He was a snorer, though. I had to leave in the end because his <laughs> snoring was outrageous. He used to say to me, like when I was a youngster, this was why he was number one and I was on the bench, he used to say, well, just throw something at me during the night. I was thinking, I can't throw something at Magnus Edmund. <laughs> like, he just said, no, seriously, throw anything at me. I went, no, I can't do that. So in the end, I had to ask to move rooms because he's, <laughs> oh my God, it was like a rhino, it kept me awake all night. So, But he was, he was brilliant with his, even when I took his place. He was, um, you know, obviously he wasn't happy, but he, he always said, listen, I remember him coming to me actually when I, when I played a few games and said, listen, obviously I want to be playing, but if there's anything you ever need, any advice, come and talk to me, which I thought was, was brilliant. And your,
0: your manager was, was Gordon Strachan, a man I know pretty well. What a guy, what a oh. what a character. Uh, you know, tell us some of the, the stories with him. He could be quite
1: cutting at times as well, but he's a great man. Could <laughs> day. Oh my god, he's one of them that even though he was what four foot five, when he walked into a room, the whole room used to show. Yeah, you know, he just had that. I remember the, the one of the best stories was um George Botang. Remember George Botang? Yeah, I remember him. Good midfielder. So our youth team dressing room was directly below Gordon Strachan's office, and I mean directly below it. <laughs> so, George Botang, it was when Aston Villa were coming in for him, so obviously Villa. Local derby to to, to Coventry. Yeah. And George has gone up there and said to Gordon, I want to move to Aston Villa. I know they're interested in me. I want to go to Aston Villa. My word, you ought to have heard it. Gordon just absolutely told you're coming into my effing office. <laughs> <laughs> move to our local effing. Get in there. Out of my office. So you're going you're to go out running now and I run you all day. And as youth team, lads like that like, shot were what we were hearing, but like, the the walls were shaking and all, for a little man, that was one of the biggest things I I remember, but what a manager, he used to train with the lads, he used to, again, you're talking about examples, he was one, he was brilliant to have around because of the way he was, like you said, though, he could scare the living daylights out of you as well, uh, but seeing the way he trained, uh, the way he he just loves the game, doesn't he? He, he, he was obsessed with the game, but lucky to have him and I owe him everything. Like I said, he, he played me instead of Magnus. He started my career off. So always got good words to say about Gordon.
0: And that must have been a brave decision. Magnus Hedman being the Sweden number one, it shows you the kind of, um, you know, sort of mental strength that Gordon had to make the right decision for the team and, and putting you in was, was that choice. Um, with, with Gordon... I mean, I don't want to underestimate how good a, a coach he was, but it was more about man management. Am I right in saying
1: that? More about getting the best out of his, the players that he had? Brilliant. You could go and see him. You could, um, you know, he, some of us went, man, he's happy. He'd invite you around for dinner. If, you, if he thought he were struggling, he'd get you around. Man management for me is, is vital uh, in, as manager. You know, I've worked under some good managers. He was one of the best. Steve Bruce was amazing as a man manager. Uh, Gerard Hullier was the same Rafa is totally different he, he he was just football 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 you couldn't go and see him about anything else he was totally obsessed with football you alright come on I'm sorry in. she was getting a dog <laughs> he was totally obsessed he was totally obsessed with football so he was different but um are you getting involved?
0: <laughs> right this she is recording <laughs> um, <laughs> she will be
1: in one
0: off. day hopefully when she makes it she's, she's a, a yeah. young goalkeeper isn't she?
1: she is mate, she's doing really well. She's uh she's doing really well. She was at Liverpool. We talked about it off air, didn't we? But unfortunately, yeah. um it didn't work out there. We had to pull her out for for um for her own good really. Yeah. But, yeah, she's she's training really well. I I love training her as well. Yeah. So, yeah but I, I, anybody I, that
0: hasn't seen that's listening to this, go check out Chris Kitland on Twitter and watch some of his coaching drills with his daughter Lucy. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. I love the drills and I love the uh the way that you're delivering them, Kirky. I always felt that you'd be a great coach. If I ever get a head coach, in role I'm coming for you, mate. So,
1: Yeah, so, well, there's not many people I would work
0: for, mate, but you are definitely one of them that I would. You're a good man. Uh, so, yeah, you're playing at Coventry. Let's get back to this. Yeah. Enough, enough patting each other on the back. But you're playing at Coventry. You're, you're in great form. When did the, I guess, probably immediately the age you were at, but the attention starts coming from other clubs and, and you start to realise that, you know, you're... You're, no disrespect to Coventry, but you should be playing at probably a higher level in the Premier League.
1: Was it was it affecting your game? Were you excited, or was it more just a oh, natural? Natural. It's... Yeah, I was buzzing. I mean, I, I knew about the I knew the clubs interested, um, but I knew about the Liverpool move six months before it happened. And that was the one right away. Yeah, yeah. I was. I, I, honestly, I can honestly say now, even if there was bids off any other teams, I would not have left. The only one I'd have left for because I was I was happy a couple of I men we'd just been relegated which was tough yeah but I, I just loved the place I was playing uh, wanted to get his back up um, first attempt, but I'd have only ever left for one team uh, and that was Liverpool uh, I knew about the move before because Gary Mack, uh, Gary McAllister was at Coventry with me yeah moved to Liverpool obviously and his wife wasn't very well. So he come back down to train with Coventry while she was getting treatment, and he's gone back up to Gerard Hulley and said, "Look, you've got to sign this lad." I said, "I've seen him, you know, I've seen him a couple of years ago, and I've seen him now, and you know, he always tells me a story." And Gerard says, "Yeah, we're looking at him." Uh, and then I played against Liverpool a couple of times and did, you know, had decent games against them. And then he rang me and said, "Look, he rang me. I, just remember, I remember the call. I was driving a car. He went, Kirky, Gary Mack, uh, Gerard Hulley's going to sign you in the next window.'" Uh, So just letting you know, don't sign for anyone else We know there's a few clubs after you Uh, Don't sign for anyone else I said, listen, I ain't signing for anyone but Liverpool Uh, And then he rang me every few weeks after that Saying, you know, it's still going to happen But you still think, oh well, it's months away It's not going to happen You know, you think something's going to come up But he kept in touch And he rang me the day before they were going to put the bid in It was the day before uh, deadline day He said, look, we're putting the bid in today Uh, Be ready, get your bags packed Get ready to come up to Liverpool and it worked out exactly the way Gary Mack said So I knew about it before Yes, it was tapping up You will not get away Well, listen, we all know it goes on in football
0: <laughs> you, know, you
1: know about moves before they happen So, but yeah, lead, lead So I just, I was buzzing I just thought, you know, we've got to keep playing well uh, Keep concentrating Keep doing well for Liverpool uh, For Coventry And, you know, hopefully you'll get your dream move And it worked out that way
0: And it was six million quid What are you, 20, 21 at this point? That's I long. was 20, 20, oh. yeah a lot of money for a goalkeeper. Did you feel the pressure or nope. just excitement?
1: Yeah, I, I, I've always said this. I, I didn't start to feel the pressure of football until I was after 30. When right. you're younger, you just, you're not bothered here. You just want to play. Yeah. You, just, you, know, you want to train. You want to save stuff. You want to, if you're shy, you want to score goals. But it wasn't until I got over 30. More when I was at Wigan that you realise some of the magnitude of the games you're playing and what it yeah. means. You know, staff, if you get relegated, staff at the club lose their jobs. People at the stadium... So I didn't really start thinking about stuff like that until I was over 30. But when I was at Liverpool, I just like it wigging. I just wanted, I couldn't wait to get in the mornings and I hated leaving Melwood at night, you know, after training. I just wanted to be there all the time.
0: It was actually different for me. I was, I think when I was younger, I was more worried about what I couldn't do than what mm. I could do. And I was, I was anxious to, to hide my deficiencies, I guess. And then one day I just realised, look, I am what I am. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at, and I felt comfortable, so I, I kind of like grew into my my skin, I guess, as a player. But uh, I can see why you're saying that you're flying along. You've you've, you've just ousted Sweden number one, yeah. and your your team, you know, you, you've got some of the greats of the game recognizing how good you are. You've then got your six million quid move to Liverpool. Gerard Hooley, a, a, a man of some serious standing, has signed you. You get there. What was it like at the start? Did you did you see the difference in level, did you realise you had some work to go to, to kind of
1: bridge that gap or did you feel really confident and comfortable right away? Coming back to Gerald, this is the type of man he is. He, uh, he picked us up. So no, he, he come and picked us with Phil Thompson in the car. They come and picked me and Leona up from the hotel and took us everywhere. So that's just the type of man that, that he was. He was amazing. Yeah. And that makes you feel so... I, I was sitting there thinking, oh my God. I'm in a car here with Phil Thompson and Gerald Hillier. And it, it, from day one, he just made me feel so. He said, Listen, I knew I was going to be number two before the move. He said, Look, Jersey's going to play, learn off him, learn off the players, learn off Joe Corrigan. And when the time's right, you'll play. And it, and it happened like that. It's just unfortunate. I got bad injuries when I did get in. But from the day, yeah, I, I thought I was fit when I was at Coventry. I thought, you know, I was up there with the running. With Oggy, we used to, you know, beat a lot of the players. I thought I was fit, but I didn't realise just how I wasn't when, until I went to Liverpool. You know, I was still fit, but I had a long way to go. The sharpness, as you say, the players are quicker. You're playing with better players. No disrespect to Coventry, but you know, Robbie Fowler, no backlift whatsoever. He could have the ball pass you before you even blinked. So quickly, I had to get up to speed, but it didn't take me too long to be honest. Uh, Joe Cohen was a brilliant goalie coach for me. The proper old school just what I like, hard work, you know, you come off the training pitch knowing you'd had a session, which was right up my street, so, you know, and, and you know, when I did get my chance, I performed quite well, it's just unfortunate that I got some nasty injuries.
0: Yeah, nasty injuries, like you said, and uh, let, let's get into them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, first, I want to say that a lot of your injuries are because, i am mean, known a lot of brave goalkeepers, but you're ridiculous you're you're on a level of brave and i think some of the injuries came from maybe you've been too brave if that's such a thing in a game where we asked players to be completely committed but what was the first kind of injuries i know there was a groin there was a really bad finger one in there as well when did it start? Oh, I've seen that finger. there. <laughs> the, those listening can't see it, but oh my gosh, that is. I used to play with that on nights out. <laughs> <laughs> that is a horrible finger. But yeah, what was the first one? Was it the finger or was it the groin? Or uh, when did it start to kind of uh, b- become a bit of an issue for you?
1: Yeah, I think the finger. Uh, the was it the finger or the back? The back. The back issue, right? Obviously. People associated with it. I mean, when I left Liverpool, I mean, I was at Wigan, but I haven't missed any games, you know, and I've gone on to Sheffield Wednesday. I had 97% fitness record, you know, I was better than all the players. So, but when I was at Liverpool, it started as simple as this. We did a, remember leapfrog? Yeah. You leaped over someone's back. Yeah. So we were warming up. I've bent down. Steve Finnan's pushed on the bottom of my back to leap over me. And that's what did my back slip two discs uh, and caused some bad damage. And I was out for a month. I was out, I had to have an operation in the end. And I tried to come back, but it wasn't right. I was in agony. I was, you know, I couldn't do what I used to. So I had to get the operation in the end. Um, something that I, 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 regret, I regret now, because I think the issues I've had with the spasms after it have come from that operation. Because when you cut into your back, it's not, it's not the place you want to be going into with a knife, because there's nothing to protect it. But I did the finger. Simple that one, Kevin Davis. Um, just give me a nudge. At a corner and took my the flight of the ball changed and it just hit me on the end of the finger uh, carried on, uh, this was 20 minutes to go so I'd, I knew I'd smashed it to bits but we made all the subs so I had to carry on so for the last 20 minutes I was playing um, in absolute, I must admit it was agony and I was, uh, I had to make a couple of saves as well and my god I thought I was going to cry on the pitch it was just agony so as soon as the game they had an x-ray machine at, the, at Anfield so as soon as the game finished I had that done and just completely smashed it to bits. I was out for about five months with that.
0: that that's uh, absolutely incredible. You're making saves with a basically fractured finger.
1: Oh, it was, honestly, Steve. I, it, do you know, what, you know what it's like, though? Like the adrenaline can get you through it, can't it, in oh, games sometimes? Yes. But as soon as the whistle went, I, I, I did. I, I, I was in agony, absolute agony. Um, and then my shirt. I did my shirt down at Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. I slid out. Daily had a bowlers slid in. At the same time, and we just hit knee to knee, and he's a big boy, Deli, yeah. and um, that smashed my cruise ship. So I was out for eight months with that, um, and then it was like you said, it was just coming back from that. I did my groin um, because when you've been out for so long, that happens. You get, you can get other stuff happen. So my time in Liverpool was yeah frustrating, but I'd do it all again just for one game.
0: You yeah, know, just
1: to play one game for them, I would. I mean that as well. So, but they looked after Gerard Hulley was after that game against. Crystal Palace. Um, obviously, the nerd done my knee. So I was on the plane going home. Sat, Gerard said, "Come and sit next to me." So he sat me at the front of the plane next to Gerard Hulier, and he said, "He am going to get a new contract tomorrow?'" I said, "I've only got four years left. I don't care. Want to get a new six-year one?" He said, "We look after players here, and uh, they did the same with Jamie Carragher when he broke his leg, and that's just the club Liverpool are. And I uh, knew they always looked after us. You know, went above and beyond, but." that's one of the frustrating things. I think if I'd have stayed fit and not got them knocks, then I always wonder how far I could have gone.
0: Yeah, good to go on with Liverpool and, and of course, you got the one England cap, full England cap, but there was more of them in the offing as well, wasn't there? If, if you could have just stayed fit at Liverpool, probably.
1: Yeah, I think so, but, um, I mean, there was a lot of good goalkeepers around still were not, you yeah. know, in them days as well. But, yeah, I, I should have had more caps and I should have had more appearances for Liverpool, but, unfortunately sometimes the gods don 't favor you, and you know i got some nasty knocks which not they do knock stuffing at you as well you never once you have a serious injury you'll know you're never quite the same again you know you, you, your body's never quite the same again, and I certainly felt some of them going forward definitely
0: yeah you 're compensating all the time aren't you especially you 're talking about big ones like knees and and, and oh, yeah. a bad, bad, bad torah doctors and stuff, and you 're always compensating in the, the pelvic yeah. area to try and make it work but these injuries are so innocuous, you know? Talk about you playing LeapFrog as a warm-up in training that we've done that a thousand times, and I've never seen a guy get injured. And, you know, you get a little nudge at a corner, and it it shatters your finger. Like, it's so innocuous, a knee-to-knee collision. You must have felt at times that somebody had it out for you. Oh, it was tough. It was
1: tough. Another one was in training, Harry Kuehl. The whistle had stopped. It was during a game we were doing a practice game. The whistle had stopped, and he was about three yards away from me he's absolutely smashed this ball, and i 've just stuck my wrist out and saved it, but it bent my snapped my wrist in two so it was just it was just stuff like that it was um yeah very very frustrating was everyone kept saying I was injury prone it, it wasn 't as though I was getting the same injury and my hamstring was going all the time and it was just freak accidents um, and not being able to do what you what you want to do. Obviously, people know about you and, and, you know, there's all the talk about England and stuff like that. But that was really, really frustrating, not being able to, to really kick on at Liverpool.
0: So when, when you decide that you're going to go and try and kickstart your career somewhere else, it, it's a loan spell, I think, at Wigan and it eventually a permanent move. How did that feel? You know, you just want to get back out there in the field and, and, and try and play...
1: A succession of games at that moment, I guess. Yeah, well, at Liverpool, things when when uh, Joe let, Joe Colgan left, Rafa yeah. Benitez coming up, and so he bought a Spanish goalie coaching, and it just wasn't for me. Just the, the the tempo, you just I wasn't working. It was like I wanted to do more work, and I just felt. Mis- I remember one session. Rafa Rafa took me for a session once. And uh, he said, right, stand five yards away from me. So Rafa was there, I was five yards away from him. And he started throwing the ball to me. And I caught the first one and went, no, no, no. I just want you to push, punch it back to me. Like, and he literally had me jabbing the ball back. <laughs> then he would put some, I was thinking, what is this about? And then he put some crosses in and I come and took the first one. I always prided myself on coming and taking crosses. So I come and took the first one about 10 foot in the air. He went, no, 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 no. No, nope, I don't want you catching the ball anymore. I want you to punch everything that comes your way. And from that moment, I just thought, this is not to end well. And uh, I knew I had to leave. He come to me, well, he told me, he said, I, I don't want an English goalkeeper in uh, Pepe Reina, which, which weren't a bad shout, to be honest. It yeah. was amazing. <laughs> for but I actually went to West Brom. So I went to, on loan to West Brom for a year. And uh, Joe Corrigan was the goalie coach there. So I thought, I know what the training's going to be like. Uh, so I went there with Brian Robson, played the first 10 games, you know, got my form back. Uh, you know, people were talking about me again, and then it was that Bolton uh, cross coming, and Kevin Davis again he 's coming hit me in the side the side of my ribs, and just the, the lower lower part of your ribs and my God something 's gone there like you know, I carried on, got to half time knew something was right went to the toilet and just blood come out I was just weeing blood, and i didn 't say anything. Because I thought, you know, because I'm not... To play the full game. Yeah, I didn't say anything because I thought, I've, I've got to get my career back on track here. I'm at West Brom, you know, I'm on loan. I've got to, I've got to play, so I, I shouldn't have played. I mean, I played the second half and I was in agony. I got back on the bus, got home, threw up everywhere, coughed up blood, weed blood. And I rang the doctor the morning. After. The owner said the owner said to me, you, you've got to call the doctor. You've done something bad here. So I docked doctor up and he said, what are you doing yourself down to the hospital? I'll meet you down at the hospital. So I drove down there to scan and I'd my kidney, which basically means, you know, split my kidney uh, with with the impact, and I was bleeding internally from inside, so I was out for a long time with that, and uh, that sort of put an end to my to my West Brom career really. Um, so I was out for a long, long time with that. It was a serious one, and then when I left, uh, then that summer after Rafa said, oh, I want to have an English goalkeeper. You can go, you know, find yourself another club." I still have four years left of my deal. So he said, you're not going to play here. You're not You're not going to be involved at all. You need to go. So I knew I needed to. And uh, Paul Jewell rang up at Wigan and said, look, come here. It was 15 minutes away from my house. Uh, Gary Walsh was the goalie coach. I knew about him, knew what a great lad he was. Went to Wigan and everything just clicked from the first moment. And that was the best. From 2006 to 2010, that's the best I've ever played. And, you know, you run yourself for there, The dressing room we had, the lads we had. It was just everything was just perfect and uh, really enjoyed that the last two years obviously Roberto come in bought a Spanish goalie coaching and as soon as that, as soon as he came in the first day I was like I just know the way this is going to end and uh, unfortunately I had to leave in, in 2012 Yeah I, I wanted to just ask
0: one last thing about Liverpool before we talk more about yeah. Wigan but you know you, you mentioned and we, we both know there are two terrific managers Gerard Hooley and Rafa Benitez but what was the big differences between them in terms of man management? It sounds like, to me, uh, that Gerard Hooley picking you up, you and Leona, taking you around town and making you feel welcome. And I feel like Rafa's a bit more detached. Is that fair
1: to say? Absolutely. Oh, and anyone that's worked with him would say the same about yeah. Rafa. They have done, you know, Kavis, Steve. He's very distant, unless it's about football. Yeah, you know, very, he's obsessed with football 24-7. You know, he'd stay at the training ground. He actually had a, a, a shower and a bed put in at the training ground because he was always there. You know, he'd watch four or five games after the training and he was obsessed. And, yeah, you didn't feel as though you could go to him and ask him about stuff outside football. Uh, he was be successful. But it was very much Rafa's way. It was Rafa's way or no way. You know, it was, you had to do what he says. And if you didn't, then you'd be, you know, you wouldn't play. in that. Uh, Gerald willie was totally the opposite. He was, he was a brilliant man, brilliant man. I mean, I was there that I was on the bench that day where he had the heart attack, and it affected everyone because he was such a gentleman. It was that day was extremely hard. I mean, he come back too soon. He admits himself because he loved football and he loved. He come back too soon. He was still frail and when he come back and he admits now that he come back far too soon. He was yeah. It was, it was like chalk and cheese with Rafa and uh, and Gerard. Definitely. So that day when Gerard had the uh,
0: the heart attack, you're sitting there right behind him and did he did he go down the ground or was it
1: more just a kind of moment like what was it? It was at half time. So he didn't come back went in at half time and you could you could tell there was something wrong. He was he was sat down and he was doing his speech and Tomo did his speech and Sammy Lee said some stuff and you just knew you didn't you, you just thought, you know you knew something were quite right, but you never thought that was it. You yeah. never thought that was so we've gone out for the second half And he didn't come back out and, and that's when he's I think when he's back out He's collapsed And the doctor Doc Waller Mark Waller Who uh, he, um, Without him He knew exactly what needed to do I think he needed something Put into his heart Something Or one of the One of the vows And Doc Waller did that and Which saved his life And then obviously The hospital And we We knew something was wrong Because he weren't there But we didn't know the extent Until after the game And Tomo told us
0: Scary times and a oh. big moment, I guess, in, in all your lives, but certainly his. Yeah. And he came back too quickly, like you said. And yeah. and did they, did they have another relapse after that? I can't quite
1: remember. Yeah, but... he, he, he had to take it extremely easy. He come back yeah. and he was he lost a lot of weight. He was gaunt. But Tomo and Sammy Lee were doing a lot of the work because he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to come back. But he was that desperate to see the lads again. And get his back. I don't think we're on the best run either. So he come back, but I think he had to have another few weeks off. Yeah.
0: So so Wigan was was brilliant at the start. Paul Jewell was was the boss then, and things were going really yeah. well. And and then Roberto comes in, brings in a different goalie coach, and did you feel right away that maybe? I don't know if it was a trust thing. I, I think more about the fact that maybe they were they were concerned about the injuries or felt like they wanted to go in a different direction. Was there a lack of connection there between
1: you yeah. and... Naki? I mean, it was lot, you know, you remember Yaki, you were there with yeah. Iñaki. Yeah, I know Inyaki, right? yeah. Lovely bloke, lovely yeah. bloke. No, nothing yeah. wrong with it, you know, got no qualms about that. But just the training just wasn't for me. I didn't feel as sharp. My form yeah. dipped. Um, and you know, I'd worked a certain way, I'd come back to that with Oggy, that's the way I'd always worked from day one, hard work, um, sharp, you know, lots of ups and downs, lots of volleys and it was just, it just wasn't that and I knew, what, after being at Liverpool, I knew what was going to happen, I knew my form would go, I knew I wouldn't be as sharp and lost my place pretty quickly to to Ali. Um, you know, I knew I was the better keeper, um, I've always had that self-belief but I just wasn't performing because I wasn't getting the I needed to and, the two years were tough there. I mean, if it wasn't for the lads in the dressing room, then it'd have been a lot harder. But, you know, that that kept me going. Um, Roberto, you know, said to me that I'd always be at Wigan as long as I wanted to be. You know, you mean a lot to this club and, and we'll always, you know, you'll always be here as long as you want to be here. But, you know, in football sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And he told me that I could go and he didn't want me, uh, which was hard, really hard. And that's when my problem started, when I went to Sheffield, when my routine changed completely, I was having to travel, I was missing stuff at home, my problem started with mental health, and yeah, it was a bad, bad few years.
0: Yeah, so they, the bad few years came about when, when you started getting in the car and you're driving all the way to Sheffield, and you know, was that an accumulation of the... Maybe the injuries at Liverpool and then the, the the troubles at Wigan and the the lack of playing was it was it building up, Kirky, or did you feel
1: like it just really came then? Yeah, it did I, I, it was so when I was at Liverpool five years and six years, I lived fifteen minutes away from both. I had yeah. a routine. I'd train. I'd to see up. I could drop off at school. You know, I was always there for if there's any shows or whatever. Um, but then it just flipped on its head completely when I travelled Sheffield Wednesday I had to leave it like quarter past five in the morning to beat the Manchester traffic I was getting into training at like seven o'clock there was no one there know, I was on my own the winter months were hard travelling across the, the tops in the winter months it been dark and it just started eating away at me I was worried about getting home uh, the, the journey was tough at the best of times over Woodhead and Snakes Pass um, the road would get loose quite a bit when during bad weather so I'd have to find a different route, which would take me longer. Getting home some nights, you know, six, seven o'clock, thinking I've got to be up at five o'clock here the next morning again. And it was just completely—it was something that I w- wasn't used to for 11 years. Like I said, the routine I had was, in, you know, we'd play golf on Sundays and I couldn't do that then with when I was a chef because I was knackered. I was training literally and I was knackered and it affected me personally. And I just started shutting myself away a bit. I'd get home, shut the gate, shut the door, turn my phone off, didn't want to talk to anyone. And it just slowly crept in over the three years I was there. And I thought leaving, I mean, if it wasn't for such a great club, and Andy Rogers and my goalie coach and and the fans, if it wasn't for such a great club, I'd have left long before. Um, but that kept me going. I was going to sign again. I was in my training gear. I was first day back pre-season Pen in my hand in the gaffer's office to sign a new contract in 2015 and just broke down. I said, Look, I'm, I'm struggling, I need to be a bit nearer to home. And I thought getting closer to home would reverse the cycle, but it didn't. By then, I was I was too far gone. And um, I signed for Preston, but you know, I enjoyed it there. The light wig in the dressing room was brilliant there. Um, left Got offered, got promised a new deal at Preston. These things add up as well, these things affect you. Yeah. Same thing that happened at Wigan. I mean, I was going to go back to Wigan as well um, when Gaz was manager. Yeah. And I turned down clubs to, to, I said, look, Gaz, don't, you know, don't mess me around. I've got other clubs here. Uh, I've got deals on the table. Do you want me? He says, yeah, we, you know, we're going to sign you. So, but, but for two days, basically, I sat in the canteen while they were doing the, the worst medical ever. I mean, I, my fitness record at Sheffield Wednesday was like 97%. Never missed anything. Great. I was training with all the traveling. Then they pulled the plug at Wigan, which affected me big time. Um, I've not really spoke to Gaz about it, but I don't, I don't think he knows just exactly how much that affected us. Um, desperate, I thought, getting back to Wigan, local again, the club I love, would sort things out. When that move didn't happen, uh, that knocked me for six. Really knocked me for six. I remember being in our park, and Polly was the goalie coach at the time. Yeah, and uh, I just remember breaking down, and popping, to the window, they said, look, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's happened. So I don't know what went on behind the scenes. and But that knocked the stuffing out. They went to Preston, got offered a new deal at the end of that season. Went in on to sign it. Uh, got told that I was. they thought I was too old to get somebody younger in. So again, that knocks your confidence. You know, I was already in a bad way then. And these things just added to it. I lost my dog after 14 years. Lost a good friend to cancer. I was driving up to see him in New York. And he died when I was driving up. So I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him. And then I signed for Berry and I just knew I shouldn't have done it. I just had no interest in football anymore. My mental health was at rock bottom. And I went away pre-season with with Berry to Portugal. Didn't want to go. I was petrified about leaving home. And I was on the top apartment, uh, top roof of, of the apartments we were staying in. And literally, I was standing on the edge and I was going to jump. I just got to that point where I just, I just couldn't wait to get to sleep at night. But I didn't want to wake up because your head's just... It's just constantly, you're worrying about things, you can't focus clearly. And it was literally, I was at that point where I was going to jump off or I had to get some help. And I rang Leona straight away from Portugal. She said, look, you've got to get home. So I flew home the next day and that's when I went to get help off the PFA. And that's where slowly it started to get better. So you, you must have felt like you
0: were so lonely and yet you know, you've got this loving family and you're a guy who's who's been a brilliant teammate to so many different players. So many people, you know, cherish your friendship and, and the times that are spent with you. But, you know, try and tell me what it's like to be so lonely and, and so lost that, you know, you're standing on the top of a, a balcony. It's a tough time. And, and I, I have to feel like all the different stages along the way have had such an effect on you. But, how how did you feel? You got to that point where you, had, you couldn't reach out to anybody, and it
1: was so difficult to speak about it. Well, you're in such a, a dark place. It's almost it's almost though like you're living two lives. So there's that side of it where you just don't know what to do, and then you can see yourself. Like I always said, it it was like I was in a steel box that was see through, and I could see what was happening. I could see what I was doing or not doing, but I couldn't get out. I couldn't. I just couldn't get out to you know to break the cycle. Um, and there was some. Yeah, just I just didn't want to wake up in the mornings. I just, you know, I, I, for four or five years, Leona and Leona had a husband, but I wasn't really here. Lu, Lucy had, I wasn't really here for. Her. I was there, but I was just yeah. in a mess. I didn't, just didn't do anything. Just totally withdrew everything. I didn't go. They had a friends part. I just didn't go. I just didn't want to go. Um, I just shut the gate. Like I said, didn't reply to anyone. Uh, it was just bad. Until I asked for help. As soon as I asked for help, it was just like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And, and I felt a lot better for for a couple of years. But then I started to miss football. And it wasn't until probably last January where I could feel myself sort of slipping backwards. I could notice a few things, again, withdrawing. I was not, um, I, I wasn't at this work, which has never been like. I just didn't have no motivation again. And I knew I needed to help again. So I went into a, a rehab place for mental health. And it was the best thing I ever did. This was in July last year. And uh, some amazing people in there. It was tough to uh, the group sessions where you hear people's stories. Um, but it was the best thing I ever did. And, uh, and sitting here today, I feel great. You know, I have bad days and like everyone does. But I know the triggers now. I know what I need to do. Instead of sitting here, you know, I'll go, I'll take the dog out, I'll do exercise, I'll train Lucy and go on. You know, it's so easy just to sit there, particularly in this time we're in at the minute, with coronavirus, you know, not being able to go out. I thought, when this come around, I thought, I'm going to struggle here, because to be doing something, you know, I I can't just sit at home and do nothing. I have to be out there, I have to do stuff. But I've been okay. I, I've been, you know, I've been... I've got Leona and Lucy, obviously, who are unbelievable. But I've been okay. And um, I, feel, I feel great now, I really do. I feel, you know, we were talking off air, we're doing this watch thing with... Uh, Dean Windass and Mark yeah. Crosley I'm involved a lot with mental health stuff I've, I've been doing FaceTime calls with keepers I put a tweet out a few weeks back I've been doing FaceTime calls with keepers with people suffering with mental health um, I've been doing a lot with the Liverpool Foundation delivering food parcels and everything like that and I need to be doing that I need to be active because my problems come if, if I'm not and I'm just you know I'm not doing stuff that's when your mind can, can wander and start you know starts racing and stuff so but you know, doing stuff like this, you know, I've been looking forward to it. I know we're meant to do it last week, but obviously, I uh, had some bad news last week, and um, but I've been looking forward to doing this, and things like this help really do really help.
0: So, so the key is, I, I I absolutely admire you, mate. I mean, I always have, but hearing you talk like this and and realizing that you know, I was one of your closest friends for a year, probably when maybe you were starting to know, feel. So great, uh, even although you mentioned that the majority kind of came at that time with Sheffield Wednesday. It's tough to hear for me, and I think that the key message here is the the communication, isn't it? The the, the talking to people, the they allowing your family to understand that you're in a tough spot. Like th- this game is is gruelling in many ways. We've mentioned injuries today. We've talked about not being in a team. We've talked about insecurities at the beginning of a career, at the end of a career, and everyone goes through mental health problems but it's particularly
1: gruelling for football players isn't it? It is it's a tough it is tough and I think the pressure is even more so now I mean we're talking what 10 years ago when I was at Wigan but I think the pressure is even more so now um, I tried to keep when I was at Wigan I tried to at in Liverpool you know on Sundays I'd take the dog out for hours that was my get out I'd take Lucy when she was born in the pram used to love that and you've got to sort of separate yourself a bit because you can get engrossed in it It can take over your life but as soon as Lucy was born, football was second to me. You know, that was the best thing that could have happened because I could separate things. Then, um, but it is—it's a, a tough, tough place to be in, uh, particularly if you're not enjoying it, if you're not playing, if you're injured, very lonely sometimes, and and your mind can play can play bad tricks on you. And, and as I said, it, you know, we all know the mind's the most powerful thing in the body, and it certainly is. But it could go—it goes the other way as well, and it makes things extremely difficult.
0: And and now you're doing some great stuff. Uh, I want you just to elaborate on that with the the Liverpool Foundation and and the walk up Kilimanjaro. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant, mate, that you're you're connecting with these people one on one. You're doing bigger things. You're raising money. Uh, obviously, this is really important to you. You don't want the
1: same pitfalls to happen to anybody else that that you kind of found yourself in. No, and and that's why you know I've been offered to go back into football by a few, but it's not what I want to do at this point. The mental health stuff's really important to me. Um, Trying to help that. Trying to raise as much as we can. You know, we're doing the Kilimanjaro Walk next summer, which will be great. We're raising money for the NHS and and mental health charities. So for now, and and the Liverpool fan, Liverpool. I've got to say, Liverpool as a club have been incredible with us all the way along. They've said, look, any help you need, anything, we're always here for you. Uh, There's a lot of work from now in, in the hospitality games, obviously, not at the minute. Do the 18s, 23s, coming through the first team. And now with the foundation, I, I after it was about four or five months ago, I was just thinking, right, well, I need I need something different now. I need to, you know, I need to do something different. So I rang the LF League Foundation and said, look, you know, I'm interested. Can I come down and see what stuff you kind of do? I want to get involved with you. So I went down and met Gemma and, and Katie who like the managers. And they went through all the programs and I had no idea what they'd do. You know, they run 24 programmes. Go into veteran places, into schools, you know, provide people with, with um, courses, food, if they can't, they, they do incredible work, and I just thought, yeah, this is what I want to do, I want to be involved in all this, so uh, it's been ongoing, I've got, you know, you have to get all your checks done, all the, all the paperwork and everything, like that. and it's getting announced this Friday now, so it's not announced yet. It's getting announced on Friday that I've joined them and I'll be doing as much as I can. I was going into prison. There's a prison in Liverpool. Me and another lad from the foundation were going there and doing a coaching course for inmates in there, which was an experience. Um, but obviously we had to stop when the coronavirus started. So we're looking to start that back up as soon as we can. But there's so much amazing stuff they do. The kick sessions down, at, um, down in Liverpool. You know, Underprivileged kids that uh, got tough lives, they, they can come down and train for free. Um they get free food it's just yeah I can't wait to get started like, I've been doing stuff during this lockdown like I've been doing food deliveries to to the elderly and vulnerable and just having a chat with them you know when you open the door you obviously can't go in but a lot of them are just so chatty but it, it makes my day as well chatting to them it's like you know just just asking how the day is and they said oh what are you doing here some of them are shocked when they knock on the door like and they're like that ah. What are you doing here? <laughs> and, and uh, but just having a chat with him, he's, I went down Crosby Beach yesterday. There's a chap that's suffering with mental health I've been in contact with. And his family's back over in Spain, but he's stuck here. So he's in a flat on his own, doesn't know anyone. Got talking to him. He's, he's one of the nicest blokes I've spoke to. And I went and met him yesterday for a walk along Crosby Beach, obviously kept our distance. But doing stuff like that, people don't realise that, yes, I know it's helping them, but it's helping me hugely as well. And uh, I'll be doing a lot more of that stuff going forward. Yeah, great for
0: you, big man. I think it's uh, it's very very brave of you to talk about this. I think it's also amazing that you're sharing your story, and and you want to to be there for other people as well. Yeah. Honestly, it's been it's been a, a very honest and open chat. This I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from this. You know, different players and different coaches come on here and and chat with me and. Yeah, we've talked about football, and football is important. But your mental health and life is yeah. really everything. You cannot move on and enjoy any part of life unless you've got that. And and sometimes it is just sharing a story, isn't it? It's just yeah. someone understanding that you're there. You're there to speak to them.
1: So so credit to you, big man, for being out there. Ah, listen, mate. They say lot. Like they say they say one in four people suffer. It's not. It's more like three in four. Right. At some point, you know, and and particularly now as well. I think it's only really in the last 18 months that people have started to open up and talk about it. You, you know, you turn the TV on most days now, radio stations, and they're all promoting mental health, which is amazing. And, we, and it's what we need, uh, particularly during this time as well. It's going to be testing times for people that are going to be losing their jobs and, and all sorts of what's going on. So, yeah, the more that people can get it out there and, and you know, try and help people with mental health, the better.
0: Yeah, maybe the last one I want to finish on here is we are in unprecedented times and we've yeah. talked about the strains and pressures on, on, on everyone, but definitely on football players. And What are you, what kind of effect do you think this is going to have on football players? I'm not just talking about these Premier League guys who Bundesliga, La Liga will probably get back to some form of football, but, but some of the lower league guys as well who will lose their jobs and clubs will go under probably. This is going to have a, a humongous effect on people, isn't
1: it? Oh, mate, it's it's when you think about it. It's, I mean, look what happened to Bury last year. This was before this happened. You know, lads yeah. lost their jobs. Lads have got mortgages to play uh, to pay. Particularly in the lower leagues, you know, League One, League Two. Every penny they earn goes on their family, goes on their mortgages, goes on everything like that. So it is worrying times. This is where the PFA have got to do more, and this is where the money needs filtering down from the Premier League it needs yeah. to be filtered down more. Else, we're not going to have lower league football. You know, and, and players are going to lose jobs. People at stadiums, you know, this affects so many people. So the money's got to come down more from the Premier League from the top. There's enough money in the game at the top, more than enough money um, to support these, whether a whether Premier League team then supports another team and sponsors them or, you know, supports a couple of teams where players can go on loan or if they've got younger players. So something needs to change because if one thing good that's going to come out is this horrendous situation we're I in, mean, hopefully people are going to be kinder to people and do more to help people because. If we don't, then the world's going to be in a mess. You know, uh, an even worse place than it is at the minute.
0: Yeah. Well, they're lucky that they've got a guy in you who's is open and willing and, and there for them, who can share a a remarkable story playing at the highest level, but of course going through some tough times. So credit to you, big man. Uh, Thanks again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on this podcast, and uh, look forward to to keep seeing you and seeing yes. you in the future, mate.
1: Yeah, brilliant, man. I listen to anything you need, just give me a shout. I'm always on the phone. Always on the phone if you ever need a chat about anything. Thanks, big man. Thank you. Top, man. Top man.